Hello, Pod Save Africa listeners. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Pod Save Africa. It's mm-hmm. we're back with a news update. Um, Akeri, what are we talking about this week? So this week, we are going to be starting with the big news of the day, the Ugandan election, talking about all things Uganda, what's going on, what went on, what went down, and we're going to let you know what happened there. Then we're going to take you out of, of, of countries individually and looking at the continent more broadly to look at the African Free Trade Agreement and how that impacts our countries. And then finally, for our third story, we're going to talk about COVID vaccination and how that's going to work on the African continent. Pod Save Africa. Welcome to 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 Pod Save Africa. So now on to the first story. We are going to the country of Uganda, a country on the eastern side of Africa. Um, Uganda has been ruled by a longtime pres- president called Yuweri Museveni. He has ruled mm-hmm. for 35 years, joining the ranks of long-term presidents that African countries just seem to love have, having. So we have Obia, <sighs> we have Robert Mugabe, and uh, President Museveni. He probably wants to beat a record at this point. Um, mm-hmm. He has already served for 35 years, and he was contesting to go up for an uh, another five more years. Um, his, his main pro, um, opponent is a young guy known as Bobby Wine. That's his stage name because he was a former musician. Um, mm-hmm. And Bobby Wine built his, his platform like, essentially from the ground up to come against this long-term president. Uh, Bobby Wine, whose full name is Robert Kaya Golani, is only 38 years old, and if he had won, um, which he didn't, unfortunately, he would have been the youngest serving African president um, of this time. And so, so yes, and so Robert Mugabe was going up against Museveni, um, and in the course of the elections, he first of all um, became a member mm-hmm. of the parliament uh, before trying to go up as president. And in the course of his entire political movement, he has been harassed, his family harassed, um, locked up in jail, his supporters harassed mm-hmm. too. Um, so much violence surrounding these elections um, and even the political movement to get this long sitting president off of the seat. Um, unfortunately, uh, Rob- Robert Kayogulyani, uh, Bobby Wine, was not able to win the elections. Um, President Museveni won with 62% of the votes compared to Bobby Wine's 30%. Um, But it was still very inspiring for other African countries and for other young people around the world to just see what it takes to go up against um, a giant force such as a long seven president. Katie, what are you? Sure. Thoughts? So, you know, I'm in completely complete agreement that it's certainly quite an inspirational moment. Um, of course, the you know, the allegations and implications of fraud in the election, as such there would be um in, in situations like this with an autocratic you know leader. Um, however, you know, I think this spurs the important conversations we need to have about grassroots organizer, organizing 
how do we create broad leverage and broad coalitions that can go and topple autocratic leaders? We haven't at any point mm -hmm. successfully done it in African history, with the exception of the more violent uh, uh, uprisings or the more, uh, violent is probably the wrong word, but the more um, popular uprisings in, in, in Northern um, Northern Africa, but really you know, detailing how do we do it in such a way that the transition of power doesn't effectively ruin the, the economy and ruin the, the country. Um, so, you know, it's it's certainly a good place to start. Um, I truly, truly hope Bobby Wine would pull it off. In fact, early results started to look like it was, you know, on track to do so, but um, unfortunately, um, mm -hmm. that was not the case. Um, now, whether or not they will resolve things through evaluating the fraud claims and things like that is remains to be questioned. But, you know, we really have to look at people like Museveni who you know, when they started out their political careers, they were the Bobby Wines, they were the young people. Uh, and he specifically quoted that the main problem with African leadership is that they hold on for far too long. That's a Museveni quote, right? So, and see him now, 35 years later, holding on for their life to power that he just doesn't deserve and has done nothing to merit. Um, and even if you're the best president ever, I'm speaking to all our, our African presidents, your job really is to create leaders beneath, you know, around you that can also take it to the next level, right? It's not, you right. know, you don't have a monopoly on intelligence or leadership and things of that nature. And if you do, that's a failing on you. Um, so, you know, it's 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 disappointing, um, but also th there are silver linings to be caught there. And there are conversations that we need to have moving forward. I think one thing to note, especially with looking into this this event, this historical, because it's now become a historical mm -hmm. event that has gone on in Uganda, is that African presidents seem to have, or African leaders seem to have the same the same place, right? Mm -hmm. So around when the elections and the votes were were being casted, um, the internet was shut down for a few days. Communication was blocked off um, within Uganda and outside. Mm -hmm. So they really wanted to keep news inside. But I think it's one thing for us to note as um, Africans or people who are interested in the African country is that communication is really important. For some reason, these leaders don't want us talking to each other. They don't mm -hmm. want us going on knowing what's going on within our countries. And if we do pay attention, we see that uh, a lot of our countries, uh, we, we operate the mm -hmm. same way. Yeah, a lot of our countries operate the same way. And we just need to start paying attention and having more honest communication about what these operations That's are. That's right. That's right. On to our second story. Now we're going to take a step backwards and talk about the African continental free trade agreements. Um, somewhat dubbed the AFCFTCA. Um, and, you know, if anybody from the African Union or any major African country is, is listening, you you definitely need a rebrand. That name is way too long. I mean, look at the EU. EU, simple. I don't know if we could be maybe the, I don't know, what could we, let's let's do some, some, some brainstorming here. The AFTA, like AFTA. Cool, bet, easy. I get it. Yeah. Oh, after. after there you go. Like after, like after the the bad. Now the oh man, farce. Anyways, if you're uh, looking to hire into branding positions, I'm here. I got you. Um, we we clearly I I, I heavyweight think tank over here at Save Africa, but um, mm -hmm. we're going to talk about two things today. Um, we're going to talk one about what trade has looked like on the continent so far, and then also going to talk in perhaps more specificity about how. Um, people are looking to take advantage of this new uh, free trade agreement that's honestly just got into a official ratification over the past couple of weeks. 
um, I think two weeks ago now. So just to provide some context, starting with number one, to provide some context on the Afghan continent, um, do not be dissuaded. Um, African countries have been exporting um, 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 uh, uh, goods for a very long time, not necessarily to each other, but have been exporting for a very long time. Uh, exports have grown by nearly four times since 1995, um, with South Africa and Nigeria being, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa's largest exporters. Um, but many of the other countries do, you know, billions mm -hmm. of dollars in, trains, in trade annually. Cote d'Ivoire, Angola, uh, Cameroon doing six, seven, six, four, four to seven billion dollars in trade mm -hmm. annually. So there, there is this activity happening. And that tells you two things. It tells you, one, that there's a framework in place in terms of logistic things like that for thinking about how trade can be done period and then it too it tells you that there's at least some understanding of the potential benefit of, of trade in these different countries which is why i believe the uh, the the uh the the uh uh agreement was ratified however when you look at a different metric which is exports per capita it tells slightly a slightly different story um, South Africa is 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 in a good standing when you factor the number of people in the country against the amount of trade it does. Um, however, Nigeria is not right. So for the number of people Nigeria has, it has much less than much less than the competitive twenty thousand per capita. That's that's you know Seychelles, who is the Afri the continental leader in in trading per capita, it has. Um, so it's an argument that we need to start thinking about. That okay, you know, you're doing this amount of trade, but per person. You know how productive is your is your economy um then of course the second thing to talk about is is you know potential models for how people are are, are moving forward with this free trade continental free trade agreement um and we'd like to case study dangote um the world's richest black man um the the owner of dangote the aptly named uh dangote industries limited um he is the he's a wealthy man who's Played in just about every sector, from cement to you know oil with refineries now in 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 Nigeria, so a variety of things. But he's he's moving fast. He's not wasting time. He already has uh, new installations in Niger, Benin, Ghana, and Ivory Coast and Togo um, that are cement you know producing uh, factories that are ready to be commissioned. That are almost ready for commissioning. Um, and he's planning to expand further into Eastern Africa um, and Southern Africa to to continue to do his his trade. Um, now, of course, the major limitation to trade at this point in time is, is Africa's infrastructure gap. Being able to get things here, there, and everywhere is, is very important. Um, so the, the UN Trade and Development Conference um, is, is investigating what that deficit looks like and how um, it could potentially be bridged. Um, but for all our listeners out here, what that means to you is that if you have ideas, skills, or capital, that could help you know bridge that infrastructure gap this would be the time to deploy it and to think about deploying your skills and your capital towards resolving it it's a great need that you could create a lot of value for and i hope that's the results make a lot of returns on um so that's that's your that's the story on 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 trade um Oikon, any thoughts um my thoughts are on on first look this the trade um seems very exciting um mm -hmm. seems very it, it seems like a good point um, with, the, with the trade area agreement. It seems very exciting, but if we consider just how Af Africa as a continent has worked in the past with setting up uh, organizations and um, units that are supposed to drive unity within the continent mm -hmm. and have not necessarily achieved that goal, there is some skepticism um, on my path yeah, on what this what this trade agreement would truly mean mm -hmm. for the continent, um, and so I, I I have um 
reserved in being optimistic, um, but just continue to look out for what the progress would be um, over over time. Yes, yes, uh, and I I completely agree with you. This is actually not the first you know major argument to be signed by multiple countries. It is the biggest. Um, however, you know the the previous ones have not been successful, and there's there's valid reason to remain. Uh, cautious about the, the potential success of this, how many countries will actually do their part in making trade accessible and how many countries will actually compete to make their countries more, more better places to do business. But um, those are our thoughts and uh, yeah. Now on to our final story. And this final story concerns one of the biggest topics in the world today, oh, yeah. which is COVID vaccinations COVID. or specifically COVID vaccinations in Africa. Um, and now just to paint a picture of what the scope is, the African continent with its 54 countries has a population of over 1.3 billion people. That's a lot. Now, the Africa Center for Disease Control and Prevention, Africa CDC, announced that there would, there would need to be a 60% vaccination target to achieve herd immunity from COVID across all of these 54 countries, which means that um, with this 1.3 people, we would need at least 1.6 billion doses to meet that 60% vaccination target. And oh, if you're wondering, oh, 1.6 billion doses against 1.3 people, uh, the math is not adding up. That is because uh, with the vaccine, you need two doses per each person, which is why it boils down to 1.6 billion doses to meet 60% um, vaccination target. Mm -hmm. Okay, now with that in mind, where are we today? What is going on today? So there exists a program within the World Health Organization called COVAX, um, which wants to help developing countries such as countries in Africa secure vaccines. Right. The, the program right now aims to, to cover just the vulnerable 20% 20, 20 of each country's population. So the 20% of each one of these 54 countries. And that's not enough, right? Um, so after this program, African countries will need to secure an additional 1.28 billion more doses, uh, which amounts to an estimated cost of about 13.54 billion to really close this gap and meet that 60%. That's a lot of vaccines. Um, and right now, our most Western countries have pre-purchased the, the more common vaccines that we know of, Pfizer and Moderna, for its domestic use. So there's really, African countries are really grappling for where to get vaccines from so they have expressed interest in other countries vaccines such as in china's leading vaccine which the bbipp covax and also the vaccine that's been developed by russia the sputnik v i don't think i pronounced that well but yeah. the vaccine by uh, russia's leading vaccine mm -hmm. and some of western countries have expressed skepticism about that they're like hmm, we don't know about that um one, because China has refused to release um, the targets of the trials of the vaccine mm -hmm. so uh, publicly, so no one really knows how well these vaccines are. Um, and two, because these countries don't really provide information on what's going on within them. Um, so that's just where we are today. So right now, the African uh, Union has bought 270 million doses of the vaccine. I know we're throwing a lot of large numbers. Actually, at your head, yeah. please, please just try and follow. Mm -hmm. it, it's a lot. Um, and 
they have bought it from Pfizer and AstraZeneca, um, and it will be re received through Serum Institute of India and Johnson and Johnson. Um, at this point, they they believe that 50 million of these vaccines will be available from April to June of 2021, um, and the rest will be delivered by the end of 2021. Um, and and this ha comes at a point where the continent has crossed. 3 million confirmed cases, which with almost half of them in South Africa. Mm -hmm. The rest they plan to get from these, um, the China and the Russian vaccine at this point. I hope, I hope you were able to follow through all of, all of those numbers. I can't what are your thoughts on that? Uh, one, big numbers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Big, um, listeners, they're big, a huge number. I mean, but like one, it gives you an understanding of the scale we're talking about when we talk about the African continent. Um, I mean, like one, we're not a single country, of course, but in, in, mm -hmm. in this scenario, you know, we're thinking broadly about how we're all responding to this threat of COVID and how we make sure that people are vaccinated and, and kept healthy as possible. Now, so far on average, Africa has has, has not been hit as hard, um, either a function of somewhat being the less accessible continent, but also a function of the work that, that African countries and governments and people are doing to maintain safety and to be careful and to be cautious. Um, but right. the, the, the final resolution to this is a vaccine that people need to need to, that, that that people need to take um and we've done this once before through the via the polio vaccine which i, I believe they did mm -hmm. like nine billion almost 10 billion doses um mm -hmm. but this is our next major challenge and, and and hopefully we're able to figure this out and execute effectively um now the dynamic between you know chinese vaccines russian vaccines and western vaccines is, is a very tough place to be um, of course african countries want to move as quickly as possible so they're looking for whatever they're prioritizing availability over the amount of uh i don't want to say i think the word may be verification cross verification of how verification. exactly yeah. exactly how effective the vaccine might be. that's precisely right so um you know so that's the priority at the, this point of time and from a leadership standpoint it's difficult to blame them um because mm -hmm. that you know the other vaccines are not as accessible i mean we see developed countries struggling to get enough vaccines distributed so um it's definitely even considering the fact that they have to get more vaccines than is needed because uh -huh. some of them exactly. will eventually fall during transport That's so it exactly really is right. a precocious, precocious mm -hmm. situation it is in. it is it is and and most of these vaccines that are currently out with the exception of, i believe the newly announced um j and j i think that's johnson and johnson vaccine need uh cold uh cold logistics a cold chain basically a cold supply chain it needs to be stored at a certain uh, temperature throughout this transportation up until I believe an hour before delivery. Um, and in the world's hottest continents, that poses another set of challenges as you'd imagine. Um, right. with the, and we also, also have perhaps at least developed from a lo logistic standpoint. Um, so, you know, there are lots of stock challenges against each other, but, but the first one of course is to purchase these vaccines and, and hopefully- and them properly exactly hopefully there's some kind of clinical trial that happens again on the african continent to see how effective it is prior to widespread distribution but um, moves out to made as quickly as possible and if you are in positions of power to leverage perhaps western organizations to sell um excess vaccines or or you know, new cycles of production to african countries please do so um those people are just people on the african continent are just as vulnerable to these diseases um, to the diseases of COVID and its multiple variants, um, and they mm -hmm. also need need vaccines. Yeah, right.
Yeah. So, Akere, now that we've spoken over these three stories, what yeah. are our takeaways for today's episode? Absolutely. So, our big takeaway is that our destinies are united as African countries. Um, <laughs> we look, starting with the COVID vaccine, which was the most recent story we chatted about, we have, you know, a united herd immunity that comes from as many as possible people being able to get vaccinated as possible. In fact, we're leveraging our collective buying power in terms of purchasing these vaccines with very few countries purchasing on their own, whereas the African Union and you know other uh, sub-sovereign organizations are purchasing massive bodies of vaccines to essentially distribute across the continent. Um, hopefully that's effective, but it's, it's just a reiteration to how important it is that we leverage our joint power and and combine it together. When you even look about our story about the trade, you know how our world looks on the African continent, where people are able to trade somewhat freely across borders, interact with each other, and leverage really the best of what each of and every single one of us can produce. When looking at the long term, we then look at our story about the Ugandan election and 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 long term leaders staying on for a long time and, and not giving up power. We have to start to have interesting and important conversations about grassroots organizations, creating strong institutions that make sure that this never happens again. Um, and, and really, truly to make sure that Bob, uh, that, that Museveni's generation is the very last one that ever has this rulership problem. Um, it's, it's, you know, the, the, the evil of autocratism is insidious. It starts, you know, with people with, with well intentions that are charismatic, that are brave. Um, and mm -hmm. eventually you're 20 years down the line wondering what this guy hasn't contributed anything to the to the to the economy and he's holding on and to power move, for like exactly. Dele, exactly, Dele. <laughs> exactly and we've seen this story happen too many times on the african continent in various countries at with various dynamics to not say okay there's a trend here and we and need to put our heads together too, yeah not just at the presidential level. exactly at various <laughs> levels okay so when you start to think about your governors your uh, you know, lo local chairman, people that hold on to power for too long, it really is a curse against us. And we need to start thinking about how we, should, we need to understand leadership as service and leadership as service as a transient thing. The moment that people are not willing to take you on for the next term, you need to move on. Um, and when you have a limit on your terms, go, you know, it's okay. It's okay. You should have cultivated people behind you to, to take things to the next level. So that's, those, that's really the takeaway for today. Our front is united, our problems are similar. We need to be leveraging our joint intellectual ability and total overall capacity towards solving our issues together. So Onikon, do you want to share what our plantain chip of today is? Yes, our plantain chip of today. So if you think of the world's oldest university, where do you even think that is? Harvard, Oxford? Uh, Convenance? <laughs> no, but... wrong but you're close um africa is home to the world's oldest university and that Ooh. university is currently loc located in morocco the university of korean um which is considered the athens of africa it was mm -hmm. founded in 859 ad by fatima al-fahir in fez and is still currently existing and operating as an educational institution today. So mm -hmm. that's our plantain chip of the day. That's our plantain chip of today. Um, thank you so much for listening in, folks. We've thoroughly enjoyed sharing these wonderful stories with you. We look forward to sharing an interview with you next week to, to contextualize solar panel and solar uh, uh, expenditures and, and renewables on the African continent. Please look out for that in two weeks. I apologize. I said next week, two weeks. 
Um, Chairs, thank you for listening to us. We truly appreciate you and we hope you've had a fantastic start to your year. We know we have. Take care. Bye.